Well, welcome to each one of you, and I'm glad that you are here in the house of the Lord with us. I want to just apologize in advance to you in case I have to put uh, a cough drop in my mouth. My, I'm not sick, I promise. It's just my throat is acting up a little. It's not always easy to speak for 30 minutes straight without any someone else speaking, right? So I just want to let you know that might happen. Well, I want to tell you about John and Mary. John and Mary, at this point, had been married for 25 years. But throughout their marriage, Mary constantly nagged John about the fact that he never took her anywhere anymore. We never go out. You never take me out like you used to when we were dating. You know, I don't know if any of you have that trouble, but Mary continuously nagged John. And John would say, oh, we'll go out one day. We'll go out one day. Finally, one evening, John was watching TV, a big sports game, and Mary comes in the living room and she shuts off the TV and she says, you're taking me out tonight. Well, John grudgingly got ready and headed out with her. So they got to where they were going for the evening and where they went, um, there was a dance floor and people were dancing. There was one man in particular who was just busting a move. He was breakdancing and moonwalking and, you know, doing backflips and any kind of dance you can think of. Mary, unimpressed, pointed out to, the, to John, this man, and said, you see him over there? John said, yeah. Well, he proposed to me 25 years ago, and I turned him down. John took a look, a good look at him, took a good look at Mary, says, seems like he's still celebrating. <laughs> well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter 15 with me? Luke chapter 15, and, and we're going to read the first seven verses. And if you are able to, would you stand? Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he will joyfully put it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, indeed we thank you for this time that we can share together. And Lord, we thank you, God, for this opportunity to be in your, word, in your house and study your word. May you open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you. And may you help us, Lord, as we hear from you to be obedient to respond. And so we commit this time now into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you. Feel free to be seated. I want to tell you a secret. Are you ready for it? <laughs> when I first met my husband, <laughs> I have a husband. <laughs> when I, yeah, <laughs> in case you didn't know, <laughs> when I first met him, I thought he was nice. He's very funny, very funny person, very intelligent. But there was only one problem. I wasn't interested in a relationship. I just wanted to be friends. However, Parik had other intentions. He wanted a relationship. And so no matter how many times I turned him down, or I tried to be mean to him, or I just you know, would not give in, he just was so persistent. He just kept wanting to, um, for me just to give him a chance, you know, for me to go with coffee for him. And, and I don't even drink coffee, but he just, he tried every which way, right, to, to pursue me and, and try to get my attention. And so finally he wore me down enough for me to say, fine, okay, we'll, we'll just go out and, and, and fine, okay. So I gave him a chance and I thought, okay, he's, he's not too bad, right? And so obviously I started taking a liking to him the more I got to know him and you know the rest of the story, right? So his efforts obviously paid off. I mean, he knew what he wanted and he went for it, right? <laughs> he, was, he was intently pursuing me for a purpose. He had a purpose in mind. To pursue someone means to follow intently for a purpose in mind. To pursue them means that you intentionally go after with a purpose for them. You see, Park wanted a relationship, and in the same way, God runs after us. He chases us down. He does everything he can to get our attention because of his overwhelming love for us. He doesn't give up on us. No matter how many times we shut him down, we turn away from him, we walk away, we choose something else, he continuously tries and tries again because he wants a relationship with each and every one of us. And the beautiful thing is, no matter how many times we shut him down, no matter how many times we don't give him the time of day, God never stops feeling the way he feels about us. He loves us so much, and he truly is the God who pursues us. He is the God who pursues us. The Pharisees and the teachers of religious law didn't like Jesus. They didn't like him because Jesus wasn't prim and proper and polished the way that they were. Jesus didn't say the things that they expected him to say, or he didn't dress the way that they expected him to dress, or he didn't even associate with the kind of people they expected him to associate with. Jesus was completely opposite to what they expected him to be. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, even God. But how dare he, if he claims to be all those things, associate himself with sinners? They thought, how could this man claiming to be God associate with such sinful people and worse, eat with them, have fellowship with them, almost like calling them his friends? How could he do this with them? 
Well, Jesus knew their thoughts and he knew what they were thinking. And so he tells them this parable that we just read, the parable of the lost sheep. In the parable, he talks about a man and sheep, and man is represented uh, by God. The man represents God, and the sheep in this parable represent us as the people of God, God's creation. And Jesus tells this parable to help them to understand how God feels about us. The fact that every single person matters to God. The man in the story had a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost and goes missing. And yet this man leaves the 99 sheep that he had behind to go after just the one. Now, in my mind, it doesn't make sense to leave 99 just to go after one, right? Just, you know, just keep the 99 and be thankful you still have them and and, and just let the other one go. But he doesn't let the one go. He goes after it because he sees it as valuable and worth it. He sees that one as valuable and worth going after. You see, the God who pursues us sees every single person as valuable. The God who runs after us and pursues us sees every single person that he has created as loved and valuable. He sees you as worth it. You are worth God's time and him going after you. The Bible talks about the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And I want to tell you, and I think someone here or online needs to hear this, you are not a mistake. God knew you before he spoke creation into being, and he loved you. God loves each and every one of us. He knows who you are. He knows you by name. He knows every single thing about you. And he still looks at you and says, you are worth it. You are valuable. And he sees each and every one of us as so loved and so valued. You see, so many people value or, or look at their worth by things that they have, right? You're worth something if you have a nice house or the kind of car that you drive or the amount that you have in your bank account. But your worth doesn't come from those things. It doesn't come from your house or your car or your job or or your status in society. It doesn't come from the size of your waist or the brand name that you're wearing. It doesn't come from the country that you grew up in or the color of your skin. Your worth comes from the fact that God says that you are worth it, that you are valuable, that you are his creation, that you are his child. And so it doesn't matter what other people may say, God says and that's it. You are worth it and you are valuable because he says that you are. So knowing that we are loved and that we are valued by God is one thing. But the other thing that we need to remember is that if God sees us as valuable, then we need to start seeing others as valuable as well. That we need to start treating our neighbor, who we know is everyone around us, the same way that God wants us to treat them.
We need to start looking at others who we may not give a second glance at, who we think may be below us, where the, we don't think that they should be in our circle of friends, but we need to look upon them and treat them with the respect and dignity that they deserve. We need to look upon God's children and see them as valuable, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from. We are all his children. God desires for us to love one another. And my prayer for you and for me is that we would learn to see others through the eyes of Christ, that we would learn to love them the way Christ loves them, that we would learn to forgive the way Christ forgives, that we would learn to treat people the way that Christ treats us, knowing that each and every person is valuable. We are all equal in God's eyes. Do you know that you are God's favorite? And you are God's favorite? And you are God's favorite? We are all his favorite because he sees us as equal and valuable. You see, the Pharisees were so concerned about keeping up their outward appearance that they forgot that God doesn't look at the outward. They forgot about the fact that God looks at the heart. He sees the thoughts and the motives, and he goes deeper than what we can see. They were so concerned about how they were outward and how they were perceived by other people that they forgot about the condition of their heart. And I think it's, it's actually kind of comical in my mind, the fact that they call these people these sinners, those sinners. You see, we are all sinners in need of a savior. We are all sinners because we have all fallen short of God's standard. And so the Pharisees who were accusing these people of being sinners and Jesus associating with them forgot the very fact that they too were sinners themselves. And just for the fact that other people's sins are maybe more public or maybe more visible doesn't mean that they're any more of a sinner than we are. And so we need to treat each and every person with the dignity and the respect that they deserve. We're all valuable. God pursues us and is willing to leave everything behind to find us and to bring us back to him. In verse 5 it says, and when he, that is the man in the story, has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Think about that for a second. If this man had to leave behind his 99 sheep to go after just the one that got lost, then after he finds this one sheep, he carries it home on his shoulders. Now, to me, there's nothing joyful about that. The whole situation I would find tiring, frustrating, and very, very inconvenient, right? Do you agree? You have to go out of your way, look for this. You know, then you have to not only take it home, but carry it on your shoulders. And, you know, sheep are not very light, right? We're not talking about a little, you know, cat. We're talking about a sheep. But he does it joyfully. Jesus says he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. This is a beautiful picture for us that God paints. Because God not only goes after us because he sees us as valuable, but number two, the God who pursues us goes out of his way to get to us because of love. Amen. He goes out of his way to get to us because of love. You see, the truth is 
that God inconvenienced himself for you and he inconvenienced himself for me. God went through a lot of inconvenience. And the thing is, there was no hidden agenda behind it. The only motivation that drove God to do what he did for you and me was love. That was God's motivation. The fact that he loves us so much that he went out of his way for us because of that love. There was nothing easy about what God did for us. There was nothing easy about God stepping down out of heaven to come to earth in the person of Jesus. There was nothing easy about Jesus being mocked, beaten, spat on, and crucified in our place. There was nothing easy about Jesus forgiving the very people who put him on that cross. There was nothing easy about God taking the sins of the world upon his shoulders so we wouldn't have to bear them. There was nothing easy about it, yet God joyfully went out of his way for us because of love. He joyfully took it because of his love for us. Think about that. That there's nothing that we did for God to deserve this. There's nothing that we did to deserve this kind of love, yet he does it for us. And here is the even more amazing thing. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, before we ever gave him a second look, before we ever put our trust in him, before we ever loved him, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us before we ever came to know him and love him and in relationship with us. God died for us. There was nothing in it for him. The only thing that he wanted was to give us that opportunity to be with him forever. God joyfully chose the nails and the cross for us, and he carried the sins on his shoulders joyfully because of love. A few months ago, I received a call from a family in the United States. Now, I had never met this family or I didn't know them, but they called me in and the mother identified herself as being uh, someone related to a family in our church. And so, you know, uh, I spoke with her further. And the reason for her call was that her teenage son had gotten himself involved with the wrong crowd and unfortunately found himself in a lot of trouble and he got arrested, charged, and he was in police custody. So obviously the, the mother and the father were just very upset. They were upset about the whole situation and the purpose for them calling me was they wanted me to pray with them and for them for this situation to be worked out. But even more so, I remember them saying so clearly, at this point we don't even care what he did. We just want him home. We just want God to, to help get him home where he belongs. And then we can figure out everything after that. And as I remember them saying that, I think of the fact that God loves us so much. And we may ask the question of why would he go out of his way for us? Why would he do what he did for us? You see, the God who pursues us just wants us to come home. The God who pursues us just wants us to come home to him. To come home, in this sense, means that we choose to leave the ways of the world behind. 
that we choose to leave our old ways and our old life and all the things we used to do behind and we choose a definite and we make a definite decision to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. In other words, we choose God over everything else. To come home means that we make that choice to choose God over all else in this world. Verses 6 and 7 says, When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. God wants us to choose to come home. You see, God may not be happy about where you've been. He may not be happy about the choices you've made or the things you've said, but what he wants is for you to choose to come home. He wants you to come home. And the beautiful thing about it is that when we choose God and we choose to come home, he doesn't stand there ready to ridicule us and, and give us a third degree and lecture us about why we did what we did and, you know, the choices that we've made. He welcomes us home with open arms, ready to love on us and offer us forgiveness. That is the kind of God that we serve, one who welcomes us back. You see, you may think to yourself, God, you don't love me because of the places I've been, because of the things that I've done, because of the things that I've said or the thoughts that I've even thought. But I tell you this, God may not be happy about it, but he wants you to come home. He wants a relationship with you, and when you choose to, after you come home where you belong, then he'll work on all those things to clean them up, to help you through them, to forgive you of them. But he just wants you to choose to come home. When we do, it says he rejoices because we're home. When I read that, I thought about the beautiful scripture in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, and it says this, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. And listen to this, he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. God rejoices over us when we come home. He rejoices over us, and not only him, but all of heaven rejoices with him when a sinner repents and comes home. You see, the one thing that God never does is force himself upon us. He never forces us to choose him, but he gives us the free will to make our own choice but he gives us that opportunity because of what he did. And so my question to you today is, are you trusting in Jesus? Have you made that definite decision to put your faith and trust in him, to accept him as your personal savior and Lord and receive his forgiveness and promise of eternal life? And before you just say, yeah, of course, you know, pastors always ask that. Think about it. The only way to heaven is through faith and trust in Jesus. Amen. Not because of your grandmother's faith or because of your grandfather's faith, not because of your mother or your father's prayers, but because you have made a personal decision for yourself. 
And my fear is that you could come and sit in these chairs week after week and year after year and yet never make that decision. Have you made that decision today for yourself? Have you come home? God told this parable to illustrate for us that settling for just 99, or we can say the majority, wasn't good enough. Knowing that there was still one or still some people out there who don't know him, who are lost and without him, the fact that he would do every single thing in his power to come after those, to come after us without taking away our free will, but he wants to bring us back into the fold. He wants to bring us back home, and he will do whatever he needs to do to try to do that, but he gives us that choice. He never forces us. Every single individual is so valued that he doesn't want to lose even one. We all want that perfect love story, don't we? that we look at and watch in the movies or in the television or read books about, and we dream, ladies especially, right? We, we dream about it, we fantasize about it, and you know, the guy chases after the girl, and they fall in love, and he's just so perfect, and you know, they live happily ever after. You, you, seen, you know what I mean, right? We know that reality is a little different that we don't always get that kind of a love story, and, and especially real life, you know, things don't always go the best. There are bumps in the roads and whatnot, but we all dream about it, and the truth is that we have that love story. We have the greatest love story. The fact that God chases us down, that he pursues us, that he runs after us, that he wants a relationship with each and every person. And no matter how many times we turn him down, he still loves us, and his love never changes. God's love toward us is not based on anything we've done or anything we've said. It's not even based on if we choose him or not. God just loves us unconditionally so deeply, and that will never change. That will never change. God's love is one that cannot be earned and one that we certainly don't deserve. Yet, he's crazy about each and every one of us. He loves us so deeply that we can't even begin to comprehend the amazing love that God has for us. God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place so that we could be forgiven and have the opportunity to spend eternity with him. There are so many people in this world who have never experienced this love story, and maybe you haven't experienced this love story. You have this opportunity today, too. You have this opportunity, too, because God stands with open arms ready to accept you, ready to show you that love and to extend his forgiveness to you. God desires that no one should perish, that he would leave the 99 behind to get to each and every one who have gone astray or who are lost and need to find their way back to him. The God who pursues us sees every single person as valuable. 
He goes out of his way to get to us because of love, and he just wants us to come home. God truly shows us an unconditional love, an overwhelming, never-ending love, one that chases us down, one that fights for us, one that leaves the 99 just to come after us. He is the God who pursues us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, for the fact that you don't just leave us alone but that you pursue us with the intention of having a relationship with each and every one of us. God, we thank you that no matter who we are, that you love us more than we will ever know. We thank you, O oh God, that you say that we are worth it, even when others tell us otherwise, even when we don't feel like we are because of what we've done or because of who we are. We thank you that you say otherwise, that we are worth something. God, we thank you that you have gone out of your way and that you continuously go out of your way in different ways in our life to show us your love and to try to draw us to yourself. And God, I pray that whether we've been Christian for many years and maybe we've gone astray or whether we've never experienced that kind of love, that Lord, you would help us through your Holy Spirit to come home to bring us back into the fold and to experience the greatest love story that we will ever, ever imagine. And so we thank you, God, for the love that you give us. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you, oh God, that you would be willing to leave behind everyone else to come after us. And so, Lord, we pray for your blessings, and I pray for you to challenge your people this morning and for us to truly make that decision to accept you as our personal Lord and Savior. And so, God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.